Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What a do-do, boo-boo. My name is Chris Sinclair, and I'm joined by my uh, very good friend, Mr. Drew Garrison. I don't understand why you're shaking your head at me. Are you surprised by the all that I bring? I uh, I'm not I'm not coming up short in this. I'm just uh, I'm bringing bringing everything that I've got to make sure that our guests feel like they have signed in for something good. How are you doing? I, I'm doing good. Um, again, Your voice sounds terrible. <laughs> I mean, again, it was it was a weekend full of tastings. This this past weekend was whiskeys of the world, and I did my best not to talk to anybody. It was and it was you not clearly successful. failed. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So when I do these events, I. I try not to engage with people and I know how this sounds and bear with me on this. Okay. So when people walk up and I know we talked about this with rum fest, sometimes I just throw that glass in your face and I just wanted to be poured. They don't really care. If somebody asks a question, then of course I will talk about the whiskeys and stuff like that, but I'm just not going to waste my breath and my time on people who don't really care. They just want to get, they just want to get drunk and they want to move on this past weekend because it was broken up into two days. Historically, it's only been one. It just, there were so many people who had really great questions and they continued to ask questions all throughout the night. Each event was like four to five hours long. Plus we had all sales meetings for JVS during the day. So it was just a lot of talking and yeah, once again, I'm just completely destroyed and it's kind of a bummer for multiple reasons. One, I got a brand new mic and I don't know if people are going to be able to tell or not because I sound so terrible. And then that also goes into, Chris, we got you a new soundboard that we can't figure out how to use. Nope. So so that was disappointing as well. I know. I was I was really excited about bringing in the, the soft fade out and uh, right. hoping that no one would notice or everyone right. would notice and we just wouldn't talk about it. Right. But but, you know, it's so it's like these things that we're making these we're making these strides, but then we can't really share them with people. So hopefully next week's episode will be completely updated, brand new, all the new all the new toys, all the new advice we got. Fortunately, well, we're going to make up for it this week with our guest because she is. I, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah. So like our guest is the complete opposite of all these issues that we're having. It's possibly like one of our favorite people in the entire world and the only or one of two people who actually have co-hosted this show. Yeah. Because I missed, yeah. I missed one. She stepped up it's and true. she's not giving us video tonight because she thinks that we're going to judge her or something. Yeah. It's pretty rude. But, um, our also, guest tonight, she's right. <laughs> our guest tonight is our good friend. And I mean, just cocktail champion, world traveler, all around total badass. Karina Martinez. Karina, welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. We're so happy to have you back. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for allowing me to come back for a second time. I appreciate it. And Chris, your pizzazz was welcomed and not missed at all. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so Karina, I know that I've told the people a little bit about you and for our season listeners, they'll of course remember your first visit on the podcast, but for our new listeners and our new worldwide audience, Chris, how many countries are we up to now? I, I fuck. I lost count. Is that a good thing? That's a that good is thing. a good thing. I'm going to go with the good thing. I want to say it's like 17, 17 or 21, something like that. Yeah. It, it was high. It's, it's getting mm-hmm. up there. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our flight attendant is getting, getting around the world and listening. She everywhere. gets around, man. Or I'm he, here for it. It's 2021. Okay. Um, or he. Karina, can you tell us about yourself? And also, what are you drinking? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Karina. I've been calling Sacramento home for the last decade. Keep leaving. Keep coming back. Um, as mentioned, I do travel a lot. I am definitely an opportunistic traveler. And with that comes opportunistic drinking. So tonight I am drinking a Porcavello which is a Portuguese spirit. It is a fortified wine. Um, It is a really interesting designation. And I would say it kind of tastes somewhere between like a tawny, a tawny port and maybe an Amontillado sherry. Um, With like nerdy bartenders, right? We love our sherry. It's a drink from the past. It's something that was like sipped and in all households. And it kind of fell out of favor. So taking it a step up from Sherry and exploring other fortified wines, uh, I found this Carcavello at a local grocer here, Cordy Brothers. And to my demise, my favorite vintages were sold out when I went back a second time. And my great friends at Good Bottle actually tracked down a case for me and I still have a box. So thank you, Good Bottle. Thank you, Hassel Pens. It's delicious. And the vintage is 1987, which is a great year. It happens to be my birth year, and I'm assuming it's Drew's too. It is my birth year. So can I have one of those bottles? (laughs) Yeah, Chris. So yeah, so lots of travel, lots of eating, lots of drinking. I am a huge proponent of getting outside and balanced healthy lifestyles in the bar industry and not feeling like a dispensed creature of the night every morning you wake up after a closing shift and kind of what that takes to have that work-life balance. I think that's one thing that, that I've always admired about you, Karina, is that I've, you know, I've, I've seen you in your element where you're 3d about the bar and you're just crushing it. Right. And you make fantastic drinks. And you've also been so nice to me over the years where like, you've let me try some of your competition drinks and things like that. And as if I knew what I was talking about at all, like that was the best part. I was like, I was like, yeah, no, this is dope. But I mean, that cause you were involved. Um, but one of the things that I've always really liked is how you've made time to get away from the bar scene and to go to different places. And that's something that we want to try to kind of talk about throughout this entire episode, because as this industry continues to change, and you see places continue to struggle to hire people, this common narrative is people are just lazy and they don't want to work. And we all know that to be false. I mean, and even to the point where I was sitting in that good bottle the other day waiting for for my turn to, to kiss the rings. And this wine rep actually said like, yeah, you know, all these people on unemployment don't want to come back to work to which you could just see, like, it seemed like they were having a good meeting and it just totally turned off Chris at the very end. He was just like, that is just not the case. Like people have left the industry and Karina, you're one of those people. Like you kind of 
have you've you've transitioned into another position. You're still doing some bartending, but now you're doing other things and you've been doing other things. And now the bartending has become truly secondary for you, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as like how I spend my time, yeah. As far as like passion, intrigue, and curiosity, I would still say it's pretty up there. But yeah, um, like many with with the shifting times on so many fronts. Uh, this last February, I actually took my first out of industry job in a really long time. And I was really fortunate for the job that I got. And I'm really stoked on it. I work for a local Sacramento cannabis company. I work for Alien Labs and Connected. Um, it was at a time when, you know, we, it was February. So we weren't really sure what was going on. Vaccines weren't out yet. And I reached out to probably 12 or 15 women in various industries that I just really admired and respected. And I just simply put out kind of like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for something that's not in hospitality in the traditional sense that I'm used to. And if you know of anything or think it'd be a good fit, please let me know. And one of the women I reached out to just instantly sent me two job postings. And I happened to actually know her through the bar and coffee world. Um, she's a, she was a local barista here. She, I know her through, through bars and yeah, it ended up just being a really great match. And now she's my boss and it's, it's been phenomenal, but definitely a transition, right? Like it is still regulated substances. So from <laughs> alcohol to marijuana, there's tons of different n- niches, nuances, details, tribal knowledge. And it's a huge learning curve for me. I don't really know much about cannabis. And so coming in and coming in on the backside of like supply chain, logistics, all of that, like it's, it's definitely been a wild ride and something that has also piqued my curiosity, but it is also very, very different. It's a remote computer work from home type, look at a screen, not interact with humans on nearly the capacity that I, I previously was. So there's a lot of changes with it. Chris, do you have a follow-up question? <laughs> I was waiting for you. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> no, I just think that was such a it was no, you kind of just answered everything, everything that we were looking for, right? Is that you're kind of in this position where you don't know what's going to happen. So you found other opportunities. And believe it or not, talented people are wanted in in multiple fields, you know? That's well, just like I think that they're they're like right like going back to that comment you said about people are just lazy and they they don't want to go to work especially in the hospitality industry that industry that phrase being so wrong on so many levels one people like myself have left the industry Mm. on another note the you know the uh the toll of health whether it be fatal or mental or the risk of COVID, you know, they're disproportionately like a lot of restaurants, line cooks has been a decent number of the deaths of COVID. And people kind of forget that we are missing a chunk of the population to fill, to fill these roles. It's like, where are all the people? Well, a lot of them are died. Some of them mm-hmm. are sick. Some a lot of, of them, them are not alive. Yeah. And some of mm-hmm. them are just like, it's not worth the toll. People, yep. people think that bartending and hospitality is this kind of like frivolous Peter Pan syndrome job. And the reality is, is it 
to at least excel at it, right? To excel at it, the amount of skill sets you have to have are extremely varied and you wear a lot of hats and you do a lot of code switching in your your language and your dialect. It's being agreeable when you don't necessarily, you know, want to be. It's standing strong when you're uncomfortable. It's problem solving. It's multitasking. And most people also fail to realize that the stress level of it is similar to that of surgeons. Yet we don't have, I mean, we don't have nearly as bad amount of lawsuits, but we also don't have the income. We don't have the insurance. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of ups and downs, but we also, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully if all goes well, we go home and the bars close and we don't have to, you know, our impact of mistakes is far less. So there's a lot to consider, but at the end of the day, it's seen as something less desirable in our society to be at the bar, even just the hours worked, thinking about bartending or not, just working third shift, whether it's a factory or a warehouse, people that work those odd hours are looked down upon by society, which is huge and causes a lot of mental stress as well. I mean, just making it to the post office during their hours of operations are a struggle for most full-time bartenders, just because the world is tailored to that Monday through Friday. And now being on that side of that and hearing office talk and hearing office drama and all of these things that are on the other side that I haven't had to deal with in literally years. And being someone who can come in and navigate personalities and navigate problem solving and have just an entirely different skill set in an office job, I think is a huge contribution. And I'm super fortunate that the company I work for has a very diverse hiring practice from not only the humans that it hires, but also the fields in which they're pulling from. Um, so when when you are looking at that transition and you are looking at jobs, like the one thing I'll say about looking at jobs, like dream bigger, like people want to complain that there's not enough workers. Like if you are willing to show up and work and you have integrity and tenacity, dream bigger, apply for the jobs that you want. Even if you don't think that you have the skill set, make them tell you no. Because the truth is, is like all of those resume builders, all of those, all of those years worked, all of everything else, I guarantee if you just have a sounding board of two or three humans, you can take your entire skill set as a hospitality professional and mold them to that interview and that cover letter because a bartender or hospitality professional skill set is so diverse and can be applied to anything. And if you can sit there three deep on a Friday night, I guarantee you can sit there through three weeks of training and figure out how to do nearly everything that an office job or computer job or an entirely just different skill set inside of that. I guarantee you can learn it. And I I have to ask you what, uh, what specifically do you think is uh, a like presentable skill set for a service industry that transfers over into other, other areas, other arenas? Yeah. So multitasking and communication, I would say the two biggest, if you really look at those categories and you break it out and it's like, what does it take to communicate? What does it take to multitask? You have a cover letter right there. So most people in other realms, they lack to be personal and they lack critical thinking. So if you can really focus on that and see what you do, you're you talk to guests all day, you understand communication, you understand variety, you're able to pivot, you're able to change, 
you constantly have new menus out. So your retention of data is the same. Retention of data is similar to the same as cocktail specs. You being able to multitask and juggle multiple projects. If you can make more than three drinks at a time and you can still be personable and nice to the people around you, you can probably handle most multiple projects at one time. And if you can be personable, like even though my job is very away from the public, I still for a, a lot of it have to deal with vendors or manufacturers and they're so used to having pushback or not having this give and take and to actually have someone talk to them and treat them like a human being and be able to problem solve and come to a middle ground and solution, I think goes a lot further than people actually fully comprehend and realize. I really like the, um, the idea of code switching being brought up for, for bartenders and I just think that 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 is a that is a talent that really translates to a lot of different fields. You know, really just dealing with people is is such a unique talent that so many people do not have. And if you're able to manage that stuff as everything that you just pointed out, like it really does make you a valuable asset. And and I was having a conversation this past weekend with with a mutual friend of ours uh, down in San Francisco, and we were talking about the labor shortages and stuff. And, and she felt a very similar way of just, you know, the talented people she knew they left the industry and, you know, all these lazy people, you know, she doesn't see them or at the very minimum, she's like, I guess I just don't have those people in my life anymore. Like I've just moved on from that. Cause I mean, obviously those people do exist, but, um, but yeah, it's just really interesting to hear that narrative continue to play out when it just, it just seems like that's just not, the case for a lot of what's happened in our industry. And then when you see what people have been subjected to by coming back to the industry, you're kind of like, well, no kidding. People left like people still suck. Like they, they have a year and a half of suckiness built up in them. You know um, another former guest that I was talking, uh, talking with this, this past weekend, like he just left his job because he was like, he's like, dude, I just, it just sucked. I hated it. I hated having to ask for vaccines. I'd rather go spend time with my kids. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and it's just like, fuck, I can't, I can't blame you. I mean, it seemed like a sweet gig. It seemed like they really loved it. But at the end of the day, when the guest was sucking all the fun out of it for them, it's like, why continue to do this? So, so I totally understand. And it's just, you know, it overall, it is a bummer, but let's talk about things that are not a bummer. Chris, what are you drinking? Oh, dog. I, uh, I'm drinking some vermouth tonight. Uh, and, yeah. And this is a, this is a, a rarity. Um, but I'm almost certainly going to finish this bottle tonight. And that's why I started drinking it is because I knew I was going to finish it tonight, which is, a, uh, I, I think, a good reason. Uh, I'm drinking Isine, uh, which is a vermouth. And uh, it's Italian. It comes from the Oliver McCrum portfolio. It is fucking fantastic. It is very expensive. Uh, for a vermouth in the it, it, like what we would consider in the U.S., but it's fucking fire. It is so goddamn good. It has it is so well balanced. Um, it is it is like earthy. It's fruity. It's uh, got a lot of like cocoa and uh, licorice fl- flavors, but also offset by like some like cherry pit and. 
Oh man, I don't know. Like uh, some like lime zest. This shit is just, it's incredible vermouth. And uh, I am drinking it literally by itself. No ice, no anything, just in a glass, uh, slightly chilled. It was in the refrigerator maybe for about an hour before before the podcast. It's goddamn spectacular. Nice. Yeah. That's what I got. Yeah. You want to know what I'm drinking? I do. Okay. I'll share it with you just because you're obviously very, very interested. Um, so as I said, we did, uh, we did a lot of meetings this past weekend and in one of those meetings was with, uh, Elixir distillers and Elixir is responsible for like single malts of Scotland, um, black top rum and a couple other projects that, that we're really excited to, to work with like Porta Skag as well. And so we started talking about the new black tot, um, anniversary edition. And so that has not hit, the U.S. yet it's currently on a boat on its way, um, but I do I did want to drink it, and I'm, I'm drinking last year's 50th anniversary. And what's really cool about it is they actually messed up on their production of this rum, and they created about a third more than they were planning on. So they've kept that, added it to a new blend, and then this coming year they're going to have some really cool stuff. And in fact, they're going to have some uh, Benley uh, distillate, which is a distillery out of Australia. So they're going to have some Australian rum in that, which I think is going to be very, very interesting. That's fucking that cool. Yeah, something I've been trying to get my hands on for a long time and haven't had any success yet. But um, I do know their distillery manager, Steve uh, Magri, and hopefully maybe we get him on the podcast and you know maybe trade some samples or something like that. But um, but yeah, so I'm drinking on the the black tot right now, and um, and again, it's another thing that doesn't help your throat at all. So I still sound the way that I do, <laughs> and uh, you know it is it is what it is. So, I feel like you should have heated it up and had it in like a in like a hot toddy. That's that's definitely um, that's definitely something I will be doing in uh, in the near future as we finally start to get a little bit of chilly weather. Uh, we kind of got a tease the past couple of days up here in Sacramento, and then um, while I was in San Francisco over the weekend. It was nice to kind of almost be like cold at certain points. Like it was like it was like, what is this? What is this feeling that um, is so strange to me? So um, so that was so that, so that was good. But I think it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from uh, reputable sources. Okay, so in our first story tonight, uh, what we're going to be talking about is actually the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission, and they have been lobbying for some time to change um, the standards for what you can consider American Single Malts. Now, this has been a very rapidly growing category. You have contributors such as Corsair, Westland, um, 10th Street, and this kind of goes on and on and on, and a lot of people have been looking for some sort of structure and, I guess, quality control on it. So there are some there are some new guidelines that have been put forth, and the TTB will be publishing those in December. And when that happens, there will be a public comment period where you'll be able to voice whether or not you agree with them or not. And these rules are as follows. It has to be made from 100% malted barley, distilled entirely at one distillery, mashed, distilled, and matured in the United States of America, 
matured in oak casks of a capacity not exceeding 700 liters, distilled to no more than 160 proof for 80% ABV, bottled at 80 US 304 more, 40% ABV. So um, this has actually been a long time coming. So Chris, with these new rules, what did you think of this potential? And do you have any concerns that you will be voicing to TTB about these these regulations? No, I, I think these are a totally boilerplate. I mean, I feel like a lot of this is exactly what, um, uh, you know, like in Scotland, um, the same the same sort of stipulations that go into single malt there. I feel like all of that is entirely fair. Um, I, I'm start to get a little bit concerned when we talk about sourcing of, of materials and, and, and goods for the distillation. But uh, you know, I, I think there's time to grow into that. And then Karina, for you, when you when you read um, this stuff, like, what are some of your thoughts? I mean, do you see a lot of people, uh, you know, calling for American single malts in the bar? I don't. I feel like American single malts are are something that is a good. It's something that we still get to introduce people to. People aren't usually familiar with it. It's usually something that you know, once you give someone a drink or a dram or two. And you kind of gain their trust or they kind of become a regular. It's something that you can point them to and that they really enjoy. But I don't feel the general drinking public, at least here, is really educated or, um, yeah, just not familiar. So I don't, I don't think there's, like, enough familiarity to leave them feeling inspired or having the right questions to ask. I think it's very much um, outshadowed by by other spirits for the common drinker but i'm it's something that i've been hearing around tables for the last few years and i'm excited to see that all of the work everyone's put in is gaining some traction and I mean, you yeah. know the like you said aren't super daunting there still leaves quite a bit right there there's no age age statement or maturity statement on it there's no um specificity specificity in the oak that has to be used so there, there is still a decent amount of open for interpretation in it as well. Don't, don't you feel like re- regardless of regulations, right? Like let's take bourbon, for instance. Uh, bourbon is super highly regulated. There's, you know, you, it requires a certain, a certain specificity, specificity of mo- uh, mash, a sp- certain specificity in terms of uh in terms of barrel uh it has to come out at a certain strength go into go into the still at a certain strength come out of the still at a certain strength uh it and most people don't give two shits about that don't you think that at some point though like just having a baseline you know like regulation is something that a lot of people will be able to like grab a hold of and know that this is ours, you know, like bourbon, bourbon is like American it's corn, new Oak dope done. You know, for, for myself, um, 
I am about as anti-regulation as it gets when it when it comes to this stuff. Um, and especially when it comes to categories that are well established and ones that are that are growing in new places. So, I mean, there's it's no secret I represent single malts from all over the world and from places that are not called Scotland. And I think that when you are trying to cultivate an identity and you're trying to create something that is, I guess for lack of a better phrase, like an industry disruptor, putting limits on creators right now is not the right move to me. I think that you need to continue to let people experiment and continue to shape like what is what is the unique nature of the of the American single malt. Um, you know, and okay, looking at some I mean, of these. Uh, all right, so American single malts have been around for at least a decade. Like, how much more time do you need to create? Like, like what what else do you need? Oh, I would argue that a lot of them still suck. So maybe you should start making more consistently good stuff. You know, okay, how about but, we start but, there. And, but don't, and then don't from regu- don't regulations then at that point like create the barometer, you know, for like that those are your bookends in which you get to create something dope. You know, if, if if you don't have those bookends, then you can fucking add, you know, I don't know, like chocolate uh, goddamn, you know, cereal into it and call it single malt. You know, like where, where, where's it end is the question. I mean, I guess it just depends on, I mean, and how really, how you're, how you're, how you're phrasing it and stuff. And, and eventually if we do get to a point where I think that there is, you know, a, a general assumption, a lot of these producers are working under kind of Scotch standards already, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to develop these flavor profiles based off of a Scotch approach. And even like I had mentioned earlier, you know, places in Japan and Israel and South Africa, Australia, like they're all basically doing this scotch like process, you know, but to start limiting stuff and and to their credit, I do think that there is, you know, there's still a lot of room for for experimentation and and there I think there's things that you can still put your own unique spin on it that doesn't limit people in what they're able to do and what they're able not to do. But, you know, again, I just kind of, it's like the same thing with the California agave deal. It's just kind of like, like nobody's doing anything good. Like, what are you trying to protect? And okay. So, so on that note, right? Like if we're looking at American single malts, the, the parameters within that are like defined within are the same parameters within scotch. So what's the problem? Right? Like if you're not if you're not meeting those parameters and you you're looking for something extra, like what what else are you looking for? I don't know. I just I just look at this as these situations and these regulations as something that it's like putting the cart before the horse. It's like I don't think that we've really we don't we haven't really developed a a significant uh flavor profile that's like uniquely also, American or anything like that. I would totally disagree with you with, with the fact that stuff that's coming out in American single malt's not dope. I think there's, I mean, there are some good ones, whiskeys coming out. I think there's some really that. good ones, but there's also, you know, in similar to Scotland, there's lots of really bad ones too. I'm just saying, sure, that I which just, is all the more reason for having it, having it fucking dialed in. Right. Like if like why open 
why open the field if there's that many that are not that great? But if people who are actually like doing the work to create something that's dope that fit within these parameters, why not like why not close those bookends so that way American single malt has that like definition? Because I'd rather just see people be able to be fully expressive and go nuts. I know, Karina, you're the tiebreaker. Who's right, me or Chris? <laughs> she ever she has well, herself on mute. <laughs> she went to the bathroom. It's fine. Yeah, sorry, I'm out. Uh, well, as far as the TTB goes and government, I mean, they love more than anything to regulate shit. So I don't see it. The TTB going like, no, we're gonna pass on this one. But um, I, I think that leaving enough room for interpretation is what these rules does. And I think it does allow people to have creativity and flexibility. I think that in this specific case, having a light regulation is something that I do agree with Chris. That is like bookends. It gives you parameters. It gives you rule of play. I don't think it's too daunting. I don't think it's too specific. Um, And I think that, yeah, if you give people free range, there's a lot of really unique uh, spirits or you know products that come out of it and honestly most of it's shit so yeah let's put some bookends on it and make it good and if there's other people that want to make another spirit that doesn't fall into it then there's still room for that yeah I mean again I do think it's nice that it's a little bit looser and it's not as strict as let's say like the bourbon laws are so they're you know there's no regulation on cast types or, or anything like that, which which I do appreciate. Um, you know, I'd like to see it just be 100% American barley. I think that would be really interesting. But then, of course, that does that does eliminate. You know, it would be super that, cool. But then, would that eliminate? You know, like could you use peat? You know, in that situation, because you'd be, you'd have to bring that in. You know, I know some of the some of the peated expressions like they do bring stuff in from from uh, Scotland for that. Or so, I mean, I but it's, Pete's not barley, so yeah. I know, why but not? I'm just saying it's like, but there, it's like the slippery slope, right? Kind of like, okay, well, we we all right, only okay. it has to be American I, barley. I hate but that then, argument. I hate that argument because a slippery slope suggests that a slippery slope only operates in one direction, right? But a slippery slope operates in both directions. It's and a way slip I, and slide, baby. Yeah, the way I look at it is like the edge of a fucking uh, of a knife blade, right? Like it can slip in one direction or it can slip in the other direction. And it doesn't only happen in one way, right? So so you're saying slippery slope only happens in terms of like, well, if we're regulating this, then obviously we're going to ultimately regulate this and this and this and this and this until like, until all you end up with is rice and nothing else. The reality is on the other end of it is if you don't regulate anything, then you end up with, I don't know, you end up with just like whiskey in general, which is clearly not going to be the case. So if you end up with a little bit of regulation suggesting malt within a single year from a single distiller, theoretically from a single, single estate that is, that is industry standard, right? You can also bring in peat from all over the world. doesn't matter where your peat comes from. So you can have that. You, your, your malted barley can come from, it can be malted almost anywhere in the world. That's dope. I, I don't see the issue. 
Well, obviously, this is a slippery slope conversation. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. It's fair. Yeah. Uh. Okay, next story. After 27 years and 16 years as distillery manager, John Campbell of the Lafroy Distillery just announced today that he will be stepping down and to spend more time with his family, as well as possibly a small independent project, but he has not announced yet. He will spend in the next couple months um, grooming and educating the next distillery manager, which they will uh, announce very shortly. But this is a pretty, pretty big deal within the whiskey world. I mean, Lefroig is uh, synonymous with with peated whiskeys. It's often the 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 one peated whiskey that everybody has had, and unfortunately, has turned off a lot of people from peated whiskey. I personally love. Um, Lefroig, I think it's absolutely amazing, and I'm very, very disappointed to see uh, to see John leaving. But he pointed out in his resignation letter that the past two years have obviously been very challenging, and being away from his family is is something that he's just no longer interested in doing. Um, he doesn't want to be on Isla while they're back on the main island of Scotland. He wants to be with them. And, you know, considering our guest tonight and Karina's commitment to, you know, the, the work-life balance, I thought that this was like the timing could not have been better in terms of, in terms of John making that announcement, but then also having Karina as a guest. So, um, so Karina, with that being said, I know that you also, you know, know some other people even in the industry and you think it's a great tie-in with the Lefroig, um, with the Lefroig announcement from John Campbell. So why don't you give us some of your insight on this and, and, you know, what you think of John's decision? Yeah. So, right. Like you can look at a bartender or a server and say they're lazy for not, for not wanting to come to work. But then you take someone who has been with Lefroig for 27 years, master distiller for 16. Like that is a very reputable title, position, pay, legacy, everything. And yet you see someone of that stature who is also reevaluating their life and making decisions that better suit it, unpopular decisions that better suit it. Um, I guarantee he did not take this, you know, resignation lightly or the choice that he's making. But I think the last two years, like many of us, has really seen why do we show up for work? Why do we come here? Is it for capitalist productivity? Is it to feed our families? Is it because it inspires us? Like, what is it? And what are we willing? What are we willing to do for the money? If there's nothing else that inspires you. And so looking at, uh, you know, truly like a giant within our industry, really pull back on the reins and say, this is what's important to the time that I have. And, and really make that commitment to do it and change it. And I think that it is one example from the bottom to the top of showing the effects of this last year and the recalibration of our industry and our lives. So I applaud the man. I applaud the man for doing something that I'm sure is completely uncomfortable, um, right? Like being somewhere for that amount of time, but also to take on a smaller project that has room to grow. And I'm excited to see what he creates with that and what comes out of it. Having some, you know, you're talking about less regulation and you're talking about more creativity. Seeing someone who has so been doing the same thing for so long and then really just getting like a maybe a wide open door. I'm really excited to see what comes out of it. 
Yeah, there's definitely something that's exciting about someone reaching the pinnacle of the industry or what can be considered the pinnacle of the industry and then walking away, but still wanting to tap into that passion, but without, like you said, the regulation or the expectation, right? Because there is an expectation of what you think Lafroig is going to be from year to year. Whereas, you know, whatever this new project ends up being for him, which he hasn't really gotten into yet. So we have no idea what it could really end up being, but, um, but it is it is cool, and it's definitely uh, a very big and loud testament to the industry as a whole over the past year. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on on um, on John's announcement? Man, I I'm right there with Karina, which is let's draw that let's draw that uh, equa- um, equation. Let's draw that like the 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 equitable line between where he is and where so many other people are on the service standpoint, you know, like someone who is making this money, who's got all this prestige, who's stepping away and just going, I don't know if this is worth it right now. You know, who's, who's gone through the trauma of the last year and a half and said, I'm going to reevaluate. You know, and then you have people who are waiting tables, who are, you know, cleaning dishes, you know, who are serving the bar, who all do the same exact thing and just go, ah, you know, I don't I don't know if this is worth it. You know, before before even COVID hit. You know, uh, my wife got pregnant. And I changed literally my entire life around in order to be able to, I don't know, like, like service my family better. You know, I, I, I decided that I was going to open a retail store that was going to be open less hours, um, that I was going to be a little bit more, you know, coherent within average uh, work hours and then clock out at dinner hours, um, literally changed up my entire life because of that. I, the fact that people have gone through this insane cultural trauma over the last two years and they're getting shit on for it. It's just, it's mind boggling to me, you know, that, that, there's this whole political spin to it that people are just lazy. Um, but I think that just goes into this, our, our industry being, being the punching bag for a lot of, uh, you know, American culture. Yeah. I definitely think the lack of representation was a, was a huge factor in that, which we've talked about at length on this podcast. Um, it's just something that when you don't have this universal voice and, and and maybe some of the conversation shifts now with someone from such a prominent distillery voicing that struggle and talking about just how it has not become worth it to you know to him anymore to to continue to to do that and and that and and maybe this is maybe this is another slippery slope maybe more people are going to retire now <laughs> Well, if someone has the ability to fucking retire, fuck, go for it, man. I, I'm all here for it, uh, except for except for him. I'm I'm very upset because I want my Lafroy to taste the same. 
And so I hope that it still maintains that, that like sense of Lefroigness. I, it, it, Lefroig is the first whiskey I truly fell in love with. Like, like mind, body, and soul. It changed my life. I fucking love Lefroig. Lefroig 12 crushed me. It changed everything about what I knew uh, spirit could be. So I, I really hope that it, it just maintains. I, I don't really have a doubt that it will, but I, you know, losing the master distiller is, is, uh, well, it's, it's, it it's the distillery. It's a distillery manager. So there's, there's a lot of things that fall underneath mm-hmm. that, that, uh, job. But, um, so just, just so we're clear, distillery manager, not master distiller. That's fair. But definitely, definitely a huge influence on everything that's taking, taking place. Also, you know, that does remind me, there was some really, really big news in the rum world in regards to a distillery manager change. And that was uh, Maggie Campbell from Privateer Rum Damn. is now the distillery manager for Mount Gay. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, Maggie left Privateer last year, and that was a pretty stunning announcement. And obviously there was a lot of intrigue on on where exactly – she was going to end up as one of the most talented um, just people, let alone, you know, female distiller, just people in this industry. And so, yeah, just this past week, she announced that she will be taking over as a distillery manager in, um, in uh, Barbados, which I of course immediately went into like, now you can have this significant debate over who's the best distiller in Barbados. Is it Maggie Campbell or is it Richard Seal? And just because of personal bias, I'm on Team Maggie. So I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, that, I mean that's fine. That's that's because you don't. I I feel like for you, it's more about the uh, those who follow Richard Seal versus the Richard Seal effect, right? Like. Like it, it, for you, it, it, it ends up being more about the, the people who are just like preaching the gospel of Richard Seal versus actually who Richard Seal is. Am I wrong? Well, you could say that Richard Seal is my version of Chris's um, Jeff Berry. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> for our listeners at home. <laughs> You know what? I love Jeff Berry. His books are fucking incredible. It's just his bar. Fine. <laughs> God damn. It. Yeah. So I'm going to put that out there. I'm so, never going to live that one down. No, no, you will not. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, so this was, this again, this was, this was interest, industry shaking news. And, um, you know, I do look forward to the future of Lefroy, and more importantly, I look forward to the future of what um, John Campbell does because I'm pretty confident it's going to be dope. So can't can't wait Amen. to see that. Amen. And Maggie, I'm really excited to see what happens with Mount Gay. Me too. Yo. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, so now it's time for my favorite segment of the show, which is our dope follows. We're going to tell you who to follow. It could be an Instagram account, Facebook, podcast, book, sweet album. I don't know. Whatever you're into, you need to go check it out, and we're going to tell you who to check out. So, Karina, 
who are your dope follows this week? Yeah. Um, so one's a podcast and one is an Instagram account. So the podcast is called You're Not So Smart. <laughs> or You Are Not So Smart. There we go. Um, which is a really interesting podcast that talks about fallacies fallacies which rule the human mind and so it's just really interesting each podcast he goes over a fallacy and then brings in a uh someone someone to speak uh on that specific fallacy and then he follows up with cookies which i find a little bit odd but as you start listening to all of these psychological experiments there are so many that have to do with like the willpower and resistance of cookies but he also posts the cookies recipes and there's some really great ones on there so you should definitely check those out and then the second one is an instagram account that is dr Lori mints the handle is d-r-l-a-u-r-i-e M I N T Z, all one word, no punctuation, no anything uh, other than just her her name. Um, so she's a feminist professor, speaker, therapist, and she does have a book called uh, Becoming Cliterate. So this woman <laughs> talks a lot about um sexual positivity sexual openness non-monogamy um and as someone who grew up in a very rural conservative small town and raised catholic i find this absolutely fascinating um my favorite my favorite repost that she shared uh is actually this one which is uh is a repost from someone she follows but this is Virginity is a social concept constructed by men who thought their dicks were so important it could change who a woman was. And goddamn, I just, I have been a fan of her ever since. I I uh, read that same one and I fucking love it. It made me laugh so hard and it was so on point. It was fucking brilliant. Drew, you have any, any commentary? I mean, I... <laughs> It's 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 great stuff. I, I'm never going to bring the passion to it that Chris does. I mean, he's the biggest feminist I know. So, um, damn it, you know, I I I'm I'm all for it. And and uh, there's there's a lot of things. I mean, I think I grew up in a I grew up in a similar household. I grew up going to a Catholic school as well. And it's it's definitely one of those things in a lot of stuff in our life that I just wish that everybody spoke about more. Right. You know, like obviously you don't need to get into all the nitty gritty details and stuff like that, but for certainly treating things as like taboo and, and things like that is, um, it only leads to more problems. And, um, and as a, as a father now and trying to teach my kid and then also my, you know, the, my like niece and nephew and stuff like that too, it's, you know, you want to be able to communicate and you don't want to have any mysteries or anything like that. Cause that's obviously a big fear for, for me at this point is, something ever happening to my daughter and her not being able to properly explain it or, you know, or keeping secrets. And you know how some of those just really disgusting situations um, kind of go down. So I'm all for more communication when it comes to that. So I'm definitely gonna have to check out 
this account because if you can also make me laugh while taking a serious, you know, taking a serious issue like this and applying logic to it, I'm I'm all in. So um, I love it. Chris, who's your dope follows? Uh, you know, what's funny is that was actually going to be my dope follow this week, which is pretty great. It's fantastic. Uh, that is funny. That's yeah, great. that was um, I've been I've been really enjoying your diagnostic nonsense. Um, for the last year, I think I, I think I, I encountered that account probably about a year ago. Lovely, very uh, on and off, very heavy. Uh, but because I can't double down on that one, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share uh, a, another bottle shop that I've been enjoying watching their creativity and how they've grown over the uh, over the last few months and how they've come to open. It's called uh, Little Bear Bottle Shop. That's exactly how it sounds. Little Bear Bottle Shop. All one word. Uh, they are based uh, outside of Mammoth, like like near L- uh, L.A., but like up in the mountains. Uh, and they're really cool. They lean into the fact that they're they're uh, you know in the mountains. They've got uh, big wood everywhere. Haha, <laughs> get it? Big wood. Um, and. It, I really enjoy that their their wines are spectacular. Their spirits are spectacular. Um, it's this cabin looking joint. I I've enjoyed watching watching this little bottle shop come into fruition, um, and, and I think that that comes from my enjoyment, at, like as a as a bartender and as a bar manager of watching other bars like come into fruition and the process that they've undertaken. I know that that's kind of rare for like the retail side because I guess we're all supposed to be enemies or something like that. But I've really enjoyed watching watching uh, this company like develop and like undergo all the building out processes, whether it's like the fun shit, the, the hard shit. Um, and now that they're open and they're trying to, you know, like promote themselves. It's, it's been fun to watch. So uh little bear bottle shop. I think they're fucking they're cool, man. I really ever. enjoy it. And they're really adorable. It's a, it's a really adorable shop. Love it. Love to see it. Um, so if you're going to promote, another bottle shop. I'm going to go ahead and promote another podcast. Um, after a long, a long awaited wait, um, the shift drink podcast has returned to the airwaves. Um, that's a show that's hosted by Ed Rudisell, who owns a couple bars in Indianapolis. And over the past, you know, year and a half has been very vocal just about, you know, what has happened to the industry. And then eventually just got to the point where, you know, he needed, a mental break from all of it. And um, it was in, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a show that I've always just really loved and listened to it for a couple of years. And they always have such amazing guests. And, um, and Ed was actually a guest on my happy hour show uh, last year and was just wonderful about the whole thing. And so it was, you know, and I, and I realized that by no means are we out of this thing at all. You know, like it's just, it's, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but, hearing him back in my podcast feed was like, was really great. It was really fun to, uh, 
just to hear his insights and and just kind of have a kind of like that's that calming influence right where it's kind of like hey this kind of feels a little bit normal right now like it's back in my routine and stuff so so again that's the shift drink podcast uh ed does an amazing job and i definitely encourage people if you're you know if you like this show there's a lot of inspiration um that comes from his and so you know we try obviously try to make a little bit different but he's he's a really really good interviewer and um he's also a big tiki guy too so if you like tiki and you like rum he's also a really great person to uh to check out so again that is the shift drink podcast um check that one out it's really 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 awesome agreed those are some dope follows Music for the Gabon podcast is orchestrated by the Brothers Moore and produced awkwardly, oh so awkwardly, by us two guys. Before we go kill these bottles, actually, it's done. I already killed mine. It's delicious. Uh, that we've been drinking. We ask that if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five star review. You know what? And I want to add to that today. I want you guys to go out and share the episode. We got to get these listens back up. So don't just give us yeah. a five star review, but share it with people. Yeah. Send it to your friends. Send it to your mother. Be like, this is a this is a nice, clean, wholesome podcast that you should listen to, mom. And Chris wasn't that drunk this time, so he wasn't cursing. It was great. It's true. I, um, I'm pretty sure I didn't actually cuss at all this time, which is wonderful. Um, you can also follow us. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison Six. Chris is Chris Sinflair. Karina, where can they find you on the social medias? Find me on Instagram at Dumb Period Apple. Say that again. Use your big girl voice. We can barely hear you now. Where'd you go? Hello. Hello. Can hear you. Say it again. Find me on Instagram at Young I'll put it in the show notes. That's great. <laughs> okay. That is better. Um, you can also support the podcast by visiting our Etsy shop. Just look for the Good Bottle Podcast. Get yourself the coolest fanny pack in the entire world. You can also go to anchor.fm slash Podcast and help us buy some lube for the slippery slope. Ooh, lube? A little bit of lube? That's for the nice. slippery slope. I got to take it up to our rating at least. And yeah. if you would like for us to cover a story, if you're working for a brand that enjoys our rated podcast, then email us at thegoodballerpodcast at gmail.com. And we got some emails about the Mai Tai recipe, so I look I know, forward I to sharing that. those with very people. Very excited about it as well. Um, as a reminder, you can purchase some of the bottles that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time... Cheers. Cheers, fools. Can't believe Karina didn't turn on her camera the whole time. It's unbelievable.